0: Welcome to the Chase Med Search Podcast, your place for discussions involving hiring and recruiting for sales, clinical specialists, and other commercial positions in the medical device technology sector, where we talk about ways to get in, stay in, and improve within this niche of the industry that we all love so much. We also cover technological advancements, leadership discussions, and interview current medical device representatives that have some pretty unique backgrounds. I'm your host, Jordan Chase, taking you on a guided tour. Of my last 20 years of experience working in the med tech sector. Let's get on into it. Welcome back to the Chase MedSearch
1: Podcast. My guest today is Jay Wagner, an old friend of mine. Jay is currently VP of Sales at MySonics, and he is a dynamic healthcare executive with a strong track record of success. Jay has been recognized as a strategist that produces strong growth results he believes in a performance management culture and a culture of accountability jay's known for building strong loyal teams that thrive in a culture of trust and transparency and after a very successful tenure at ethicon j and j he joined solstice a small startup medical device company in 2015. And after four years of strong sales growth, Solstice was sold to Mysonics in 2019 for a deal ultimately valued at 109 million dollars. Welcome to the podcast, Jay.
2: Hey Jordan, thanks. Uh, that was since a nice intro. I Appreciate it. We've known each other. Right? We were just talking right since 2008. Our, our time together at Medtronic.
1: 2008, exactly. Uh, when you were at Medtronic, you were a shooting star. You know, you you joined, you came in. Everybody loved you on your team, and at the con, called you back home and, uh, your sales team, uh, they missed you. I, I, you were one of the managers at Medtronic that had moved on that even years later, people were still talking about you favorably and saying, you know, I really miss that guy.
2: You know, it was interesting at Medtronic, I, I learned so much in those two years and, and it was my, really my first exposure to patient interaction on patient referral and physician referral, those pieces of the medical sales business. I never had that experience
1: at Ethicon and learned just, like I said, learned a ton. It was a fun business to be a part of uh, in those days and, and obviously still is for many, many people. Jay, what's one fun fact about you that most people don't know?
2: Well, if people don't know me. Uh, I always do that. Uh, what's two, two truths and a, and a, and a falsehood? I'm, I'm a, little bit, uh, a little bit wild sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got my Eagle Scout when I was 15. And actually the uh, funniest part of that is that, that helped me get my first job with Procter and Gamble. I, I was a senior at the University of Colorado and they called me up to interview me because I was the president of the fraternity. And on the bottom, you know, at that point in time, you don't have much on your resume because you're in college. And so the bottom of my resume said Eagle Scout. And certain sure enough, the guy that interviewed me said, What was your Eagle project? And and I knew that he was an Eagle Scout at that point. And
1: that's uh, you know, short long story short, I got, I got the job. <laughs> That's fantastic. And Eagle Scout. Now, I didn't even know that somehow. I knew you founded a fraternity. I've seen that before on, I think, on LinkedIn or something. Yeah. You know, interesting, Jordan, about the fraternity is we started
2: a fraternity. Yeah. When you think about when you think about the fact that I came to Solstice and a little startup company, uh, it wasn't my first startup. My first startup was a Brazilian college with a fraternity. We mm-hmm. we had uh, nine guys start a fraternity. And by the time I left, there were 84 guys in it and we had a house. And so I felt like I built built something back then even.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, great, great experience just building something and building it very early on in your life. How would you break into medical device sales? How'd you get in here?
2: You know, I was selling for Procter and Gamble, but I was selling institutional products. And and uh, to me, I, I kept thinking about you know the thing you would do there is try to get promoted because the sales job wasn't that much fun. We were in the backs of kitchens and and we were in hotels selling little bar soaps and, and shampoos. Um, and I kept thinking if I'm going to sell something and my career is going to be that pointed. I need to sell something that I that helps people. And uh, my dad had been in, in medical device manufacturing for his, his career. So I knew a little bit about the industry. And I, I was really fortunate to get in with Ethicon because, you know, part of getting in with a big company is you get such great training. I can still, half my brain is still geared toward Ethicon suture. I could probably sell suture today. And I haven't even
1: thought about it in 20 years. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You know, I got in about 20 years ago into medical devices and the industry was, you know, booming, of course, but there weren't as many companies. And certainly, I don't think the startup hub was hitting the strides that it is now. And I've tried to explain to people just how hard it was to get in to any type of medical device job back then. And it doesn't always compute for people because some people have had it very easy. How hard was it for you to get in? What, What kind of pathway did that did that take? Yeah, you know, there are only you're, you're exactly right. There
2: were only a couple of companies back in the, and I joined Ethicon in 92. There were only a couple of companies that would even look at B2B uh, salespeople. And, and Ethicon was one. I remember Boston Scientific was one. But there were, you know, most of them said, just, just like they do today. Hey, uh, you got to have some medical device experience in order to get a job with us. And then and, they and say, all right, well, how do I get that experience? How do I get in? You had to find the right companies. It was tricky.
1: Well, one of the things when we started working together again early on that I noticed was that you made sure that we looked hard for great business-to-business reps. If there are, or if there is, a business-to-business rep out there listening to this podcast, how could they prepare themselves to be noticed and ultimately hired by someone like yourself?
2: Jordan, so we do look hard at B2B and you know what? I, I we look more for attributes in people. So, for instance, do they have a really strong work ethic? Are they are they strategic in how they sell? Are they a really good sales planner? Are they curious? You know, are do they always are they always trying to learn something new? Those are the types of things we look at. And to me, it doesn't matter if you're in B two B or you're in device, especially in a small startup, you have to have that ability to create. You know, there's a lot of medical device that's now kind of case coverage and, and more service oriented. Uh, we're still in the segment that's growing. You know, we're growing 20 to 30 percent a year. And so we need people that can create and hunt. So we look for those those types of attributes. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think we've been able to do some great work together. Well, Jordan, it's good. You know, it's good to have a recruiter like yourself because you really have listened to us. And I feel like we're on the same wavelength now. It seems like when we get candidates from you, you kind of know what we're looking for
1: yeah I appreciate that yeah it's it's a fun place to recruit for and, and place people at because we've had so many people have such uh, tremendous experiences and one of those experiences is it's just a fun place to be. You've built a really fun and engaging sales culture over there that's delivered obviously some really great results in a short period of time and you know, I looked on LinkedIn last year and I think I saw at the national sales meeting people are wearing crazy hats and they're just having a blast, and even for You know, a few weeks afterward, you know, the managers that I knew that worked there are still sort of, you know, laughing about things at the uh, sales meeting, and they just had a great time, and the reps did too. How do you foster that kind of culture where people work hard, but they're also having a great time doing it? How do you, as the leader, put into place elements that create that sort of environment?
2: Yeah, can I answer that two ways, maybe? Yeah, sure. So, I think the first and and maybe for any sales manager that might listen listening to this too is is that you got have you got to build trust in your organization. People have to believe you and 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 if they trust you, they will work hard for you. When I got to Solstice, like a lot of companies, there was maybe a little lacking in trust from the field to management and part of the ways you build trust is is, is a couple of things right you're very transparent uh we don't just tell people good or bad news we tell them why so that they understand the context behind decisions that are made. And then, you know, we, we're we always honest um, and we don't try to hide things. If something's not going right, uh, trust is not just about, hey, if, you know, if I give you good news, you know, you trust that I'm a good guy. Trust is about, hey, just tell me the truth. Tell me why we're doing this. And then I believe you. So I think that's the first part is you got to build trust in the organization. The second thing is, I don't know, about eight or nine years ago, I went to a, a world business conference in New York City, kind of a weird weird deal but I got invited to go and I saw Jack Welsh from uh, GE and I saw him present and what he told me was exactly what I believe in and it's how I run the business now and it's how we really run the business in the last 5 years we talk about two things attitude and performance and to me attitude again isn't just being being happy and you know having a good time it's it's about doing all the little things right and really showing that you care and you're engaged we look for for full engagement from everybody and I think that really uh, helps us and helps our culture. You know, and you, you talked about, we did it. We do a, we do a little theme night for, for National Banquet. We had a hat theme. And I think every, every single person showed up with a hat. To me, that's great attitude. You know, people didn't have to wear hats. They could have come without them, but they didn't. They chose to wear hats and have a good time. So we really talk a lot in our, in our company about culture. And we really focus on attitude and performance and attitude trumps. And to me, attitude trumps in your whole life, not just in your work
1: life. Yeah, Absolutely. That's a that's a series of great points that you make there. And one of the elements of that is the management team itself that reports to you. And you've got some really great managers over there and you've hired some and you've promoted some and they've been successful. What do you look for when you're getting ready or thinking about promoting someone? How do they how do you know that they're ready to take this on?
2: Yeah, I think this is a really good question because so many things that make a really successful rep, you know, the type A personality may not directly translate to a really good manager. We do a couple of things, right? We have a good mix in our company. We've hired some people from the outside. I have a pretty, pretty good network, Um, but we have developed people inside our organization to move ahead. And I think that's a really important piece because to take a rep and immediately put them into a management role without any training, any coaching, any kind of development is I think asking for for trouble and asking for dis- disappointment. In our group, for instance, we move reps from a rep to a field sales trainer, which is the first time they get a chance to help other people and mentor other people. Then we move them to a divisional sales manager role, which is like a player coach, so they still run their territory and they they run, you know, three or four other territories. And during that time, you know, we go through all the the right processes that we believe are important to manage a business, you know, performance management, hiring, interviewing, all those types of skills. And we do a lot of development in those areas. So by the time somebody becomes a regional, we think they're in pretty good shape to understand uh, the, how to be successful in that role.
1: Yeah, that's great. And what you outlined there is the process at Ethicon and now MySonics, or is that mainly the Ethicon process? Because I know at a startup, sometimes you don't have all the resources and the ability to provide some of those formative experiences for folks.
2: Yeah, we've done, uh, that's a great question, Jordan. You know, Ethicon is a big company and J&J is a great company, but, you know, big companies have a lot of bureaucracy. So really uh, there's been a couple of us that have come from J&J and what we've done, specifically what I've done is, is take some of the best parts of what I learned there on the best process parts, and then kind of left the other stuff behind. So we can still at, at MySonics, we can still be nimble. We can turn quick. Um, yet we have robust uh, career development ladders and things like that that you wouldn't normally maybe see in a small company because uh, we just we took that from from our experiences
1: and left kind of the bureaucracy behind. Yeah, That's a great point. Kind of take what works and leave some of the stuff that isn't applicable in your in your new context. And that actually leads me to my next question, which is you went from Ethicon, J&J, a massive, you know, pillar in the medical device industry to a, a very small startup at the time. And can you talk about that transition, Jay? What that was like for you? Because I, if I, unless I'm mistaken, I think that was your first startup experience, and you came in at the leadership level there. That had to be some some very accelerated learning for you. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, I
2: had a mentor for a couple of years at Ethicon Biosurgery named R- Huda, and uh, unfortunately, he passed. One of the things he taught me was to have a purpose. And we used to talk about purpose all the time. And anybody that listens to this that knows Ruhinich would know about purpose. And I felt like in the last year at Ethicon, I kind of lost lost my purpose. Uh, it was really hard to run that business and really make an impact because the business was just so big. Mm-hmm. Me going to a startup where I could be, uh, you know, every decision I made and every move I made, and every activity I, I took on, uh, made a difference to the organization's success was was really, really invigorating to me. And it really gave me a sense of purpose. You know, if people ask me now why I'm, why I'm at my sonics, and in fact, that just came up. We had a kind of a powwow last week with the senior leadership. And I said, it's simple. I'm here to build a business. That's my purpose. And I think everybody should really step back and, and think about their purpose in, in their business career and maybe in their life, too, um, because I think that, that helps you really
1: focus on what you want to do and what you want to attain. When you went into Solstice, I think it had another name at the time. When we first started working together, it wasn't sole We we were
2: soluble time. systems. Yeah.
1: Soluble systems. Yeah. When you joined, how big was that organization?
2: We had uh, 28 reps, and we were doing about 11 million in sales. And, and when you,
1: <laughs> yeah, and when you we got the business at Ethicon that you were running yourself, that was how large.
2: Uh, it was 250 million. And you think about it, like I said, it it's hard to turn a 250 million dollar business around or or move it in any direction very quickly, right? But you can move an 11 million dollar business very very fast capitalized on building trust, we put together some really
1: good strategies. We had, a, we had just a really good team, and we started building that culture right away. That's fantastic. So you know you were given you know the keys to the car, so to speak, stepping into that role. How did you go about analyzing and looking at and seeing what changes needed to be made at that point? What were some key metrics you were looking at?
2: I think the first thing a a good leader has to do is listen and observe and assess. So right away, I actually came in the role as a regional, and I was also charged with creating our sales training program because I had run sales training in a couple of organizations. So I I spent a lot of time learning, uh, a lot of time listening, a lot of time assessing what we were doing. So I think I kind of rapidly, because it was my first foray into wound care, really. Uh, Everything else had been in the OR for my whole career. So I think that's important for any leader. If you ever uh, get a chance to, or a great book is The uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, it's so important to think about where you are in that, in that role and in your team development. I noticed, for instance, that there wasn't trust in the organization because people weren't vulnerable.
1: We had, didn't have really clear-cut uh, focused strategies, and we fixed those pretty quick. In you stepping into that role in, in, at the Ultimate Leadership level from a sales perspective, there's a number of people out there that I know that are in my network, in your network too, I'm sure that are senior directors or senior managers out there that haven't broken through to the VP level. How did that happen for you? And uh, any words of wisdom for, for that crowd?
2: You know, that's an interesting question. I have to, I guess, think about, to me, Jordan, you know, I'm a VP of sales, but our business is, you know, $40 million business now versus 11, which is great but it's still fairly small. I think that, you know, as you get to, you know, more senior levels of management, it's important to, to, you know, get obviously a bigger, a bigger uh, overall picture of of the marketplace, of the industry, kind of you zoom back to 10,000 feet more often than you zoom close. So and you gotta have probably the ability to do both. You know, it's interesting in my career, you know, you have to always manage up and and down. Some people are really good at managing up and and, uh, I think that's an important skill to have. If you can go to the board of directors and be able to present, I think that puts you in an amazingly different light than
1: than uh, you know managers and directors that can't do that. So I think those are some of the some of the things I would think about. You know, that's uh, it's kind of a common conversation that I'm having with some of the folks in my network about that and how to break through that ceiling, so to speak, and and get to that level because there's only so many jobs out there at that level at the VP of Sales where you're running the organization. I think those are some good uh, good words of wisdom for them.
2: And Jordan, I think there's, I think you know, i was thinking about that that question even more now in the last 30 seconds. You know, at Ethicon, in order to get to a VP level, for instance, and I think this is a smart smart idea for a lot of companies. Is those people need to have a variety of exposures. So, for instance, you know, running a, running a sales team is one. Uh, running a marketing team might be another. Running a sales op team might be another where you create you know compensation and sales planning and sales analytics, so there's a number of things that I think you know a really good senior leader if they're exposed to those things. I think that just helps your chances. you know a lot of people want to have a linear career of, of sales to sales management to v p of sales to whatever, but I think it's those people that have had different exposures in different parts of the business actually have
1: a a better chance of, of running running into that v p level Was there one or two? key experiences that you've had that you'd point to and say, this is where I, I really am glad that I had this experience because this helps me every single day in my role.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I have, uh, I'll give you a couple and there's a couple pieces to it too, because this is good. I I hope people do listen to this because so many people now don't think this way. You know, in my career, I moved in the first 16 years, I moved seven times. Now you can say, hey, boy, I would never do that. I, I love where I live or whatnot. But I was pretty strategic in my moves. I wanted to move my career ahead. So sometimes a matter of, are you flexible enough to go to a company headquarters and live there for a while? Mm-hmm. Are you flexible enough to take a sidestep or are you always looking for more money? And then I will tell you this, Jordan, I had the good fortune of going to work for Depew Spine uh, as director of sales training for two years. I went to Medtronic, which was a totally different business in the pain stem uh, game. And I ran Ethicon Biosurgery, was a rep for Ethicon. Now I did the startup. So as I look at my career, I would call myself a generalist. There's almost nothing that's disposable in an OR that I either hasn't, haven't sold or managed or trained people to sell. I mean, almost
1: everything in an OR that's disposable I've touched. So I think that makes you pretty marketable. I would agree with that. You know, to take it another direction here, we haven't even talked about the products that your team is is selling out there in the field They're with Theraskin and uh, Sonic 1.
2: Tell me a little bit about that or tell our audience about it. Well, and I don't want to give away too much strategy, right? In case our competitors are listening, but you know what? <laughs> we, we really feel we really feel good about the uh, about mysonic's buying us because we we think Stareskin is best in class as a as a um, human skin allograph. and now we've got the chance to combine it with Sonic One and really get a get a wound bed uh, prepared for a graft uh, the best possible way. And Sonic 1, to me, is not just best in class, might be best in the world for debridement. So we feel like those two products have really good synergy. And, and there's more, a lot more to my Sonics too, but
1: we're really excited about that. Oh, well, I was gonna say, uh, Jay, one of the things that you are known for is, is thinking about the future. And with COVID right now and the COVID era that we're all living through here in 2020, how do you envision that affecting your business going forward and the medical device industry in general? That's a great question, Jordan. I think that, uh, and we've thought a
2: lot about this, and, I, and I'm sure every organization has, because things are sure different than they were back in February. You know, we talked with our our team for months and, and really put a lot of specific things in play around staying connected to customers and, and in different ways. You know, uh, I think social media has a, a bigger than ever role. Uh, I think creativity has a bigger than, than ever role. You know, we had reps, that were out and and you know renting a food truck for an hour and bringing an, an OR out of the hospital to to enjoy a food truck and setting a display table next to the food truck, and that was just one example. But I, I do think Jordan moving forward, it's going to be about creativity and about staying connected because it's harder than ever now to just reach customers live, reach them and and be in in front of them person to person. So. Good, good reps with really good attitude are going to figure it out because we've had people that have been very successful through COVID. And I think other reps that maybe not don't have the creativity or don't have the uh, the engagement level
1: have struggled. Well, maybe a final question, Jay, is, you know, you've contributed a lot in medical devices in your career, and obviously you've you've done well and reached the, the pinnacle, so to speak. You know, what would you like your legacy to be? You know, if you have good attitude here and you perform well, I,
2: I always tell the, the new people that we hire, I'm I'll be a servant leader to you. Nothing would please me more, Jordan. And I I'm already starting to see this, which it makes me does make me feel good. People that I've worked with are now at pre-senior levels in a lot of different companies. And I think that's uh one of the coolest things. And you know, someday I am gonna get to retire and be all done. And it would please me nothing more than to have, you know, 15 or 20 or 30 people that I've worked with uh at, at senior levels in different different companies. And maybe knowing that I, that I helped develop them to that level and at least have
1: a small piece in it. That would be great. I think you're well on your way. <laughs> Jay, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today. It's great to talk with you in this format.
2: Hey, Jordan, I, I want to thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's uh, good, good to catch up with you.
0: Absolutely. Take care. All right. Take care. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Chase Med Search Podcast. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank my guests for coming on today's show. I hope that you got a lot of value in the information and experiences that they shared with us. You can subscribe to the show at chasemedsearch.com and follow all of the appropriate links to subscribe through iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to drop a like so we can expand the audience of our show. But I'm also curious to hear your thoughts on this episode, so if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to contact the show's email at podcast at chasemedsearch.com. You can reach out to us there to share your experiences in the medical device industry, or even leave a suggestion for a future episode topic. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you have a great week, make a difference for patients and customers, Stay safe out there and we'll see you next time on the Chase MedSearch podcast. Chase MedSearch is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product, individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Chase MedSearch. Any views and opinions shared by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Chase MedSearch or any of its employees or contractors.